Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ahead of this summer's Women's World Cup, here's another chance to hear my 2016 interview with Phil Neville, currently the manager of England's Lionesses, who go to France with a genuine prospect of victory. Many of you might know that Phil was an extremely good cricketer in his youth, but listen to him talk about the choice he had to make between that sport, the one he truly loved, and football. Cricket's loss has been football's gain. We spent time in the football hotel in Manchester, overlooking Old Trafford, talking about both sports, exploring how his experiences in cricket helped form his football mentality and even shaped his outlook in life. At the time of recording in August 2016, Phil had recently left Valencia, where he worked as an assistant to Nuno Espirito Santo and then his own brother, Gary, between the summers of 2015 and 2016. Enjoy. This is a joy, this is a pleasure, because Phil, you're such a busy man that even when we were in Spain together, we snatched a conversation here or there, and Briefly. I'm allowed to say it because it's kind of my, our, my podcast, but I'm, a, I'm an admirer, and therefore if you admire somebody, you want to suck the knowledge and the fun and the, even the piss taken, if you want to have a yeah. glass of wine as well, out of somebody. So now that we're finally in, in God's own country, not Spain, overlooking the, the, the canal, with Old Trafford in the background, yeah. your hotel... Let's do the not obvious thing, and like we did with your brother, start with cricket, please. Yeah. Um, because um, nobody ever believes that Scott's My a cricket fan. Sport. Well, I, I'm a massive <laughs> cricket fan, and I know you were also very good at it. Yeah. But the book, Class of 82 out of our league, details some outstanding stories. Yeah. People know you could play. But just tell us a little bit, for, for those outside Lancashire, or the north of England, where semi-professional leagues flourish yeah. and teach you, just tell a little bit about your background growing up, your fact that your dad... Mm. was a good cricket player too. Yeah. How did you and Gary get involved in it and what exactly were they getting you involved in? In, in back, what, 30, 30 years ago, you could play cricket in the summer. Cricket in the summer, football in the winter, they didn't overlap. So my dad was, watch Man United in the winter, play cricket in the summer. And when we say play cricket, we, he played Saturday, Sunday. We watched under 13 Sunday morning, under 18s. Monday, Wednesday, under 15s, Thursday, practice nights was Tuesday, Thursday, so it was every night of the week. A real community club feel. It was a community club. My dad worked 
within the cricket club because it was volunteered uh, along with his other job. My mum did the tees. Yeah. Tees is when obviously one, one side's back, 50 overs, after 50 overs you have an half an hour break. My mum prepared the sandwiches because she worked as a caterer. So it was all hands on deck. My grandma and granddad, my cousin, my auntie and uncle were all involved in the, in the cricket club. It was, it was sort of like back in those days where there was no nightclubs, no fancy bars. You went to your legion, you went to your social club, you went to your cricket club. And, and ours was Greenmount Creek Club and when people asked me about my success at football, cricket was the reason I was successful at football because at 10 years of age, 8 years of age I was playing with men. Cricket is a game where you've got to concentrate, cricket's a game where you, you take a lot of hits. The fact that I was playing with men and practicing with men and mixing with men saw, saw our cricket club had some of the best cricket professionals that you could, you could wish for, Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor, who captain the Australia. best Australian captain, yeah. you know, alongside Alan Border, Jamie Jamie Siddons, who played for Victoria. We had Matthew Hayden, one of the biggest one opening of the hitters of all yeah, time, one of the best who stayed at our house. Franklin Stevenson, great all Western, Western you know, Indian rounder, yeah. Yeah. played for Nottinghamshire, scored a thousand runs and hundred wickets for Nottinghamshire. So these were great cricketers in our league. In the in the Lancashire leagues, we had all the top Australians. You're talking Jeff Lawson. Marsh came at yeah, one stage. Shane Warne. Shane Warne came over. The Australians came to England, the War Brothers. The War Brothers played for Edgerton in, in our league. Australians, particularly at cricket, have, have an unbelievable mentality. They're not scared. You know, if they see a bull in front of them, they attack that bull straight away and they take on a challenge. And that attitude, I was brought up with that attitude. You know, Mark Taylor, Matthew Hayden was... You know, there was one day we played a cricket match at Bradshaw. It, it was raining. They'd batted. They'd batted for ages. We got into bat. There was only 15 overs left. We needed 200. And we came in. It was like, nah, game over. And he said, we're going to win this. He went out there, first ball six, second ball four. And it was that attitude of every, anything's possible. And I ended up opening the batting with him. Mark Taylor and his wife, Judy, and the family, still lifelong friends. And you're talking about someone that was a great, great opening batter. You know, not Matthew Aiden, who would go in there, he would concentrate for long hours, he would fight, you know what I mean? And, and the, these were lessons that I learned from professional players, you know what I mean? See, the, the, my mind's already just literally exploding with questions because yeah. before we get to the Australian element in which I'm totally interested, let, let's clear up something that maybe everybody who's experienced the semi-pro leagues that you're talking about know, but the, the rest of the world doesn't. If you were in there batting, you or Gary, at, 11, 12, which is a nonsensical age, 13, 14. Yeah. The guys whose semi-professional living that is, mm. the locals, not the hired guns, they're bowling at you to, to take your wicket. They're, they don't Full, care if, yeah, they, if it's whizzing by your head. Or no. There ain't no quarter given, am I right? It's 100% and they want you out just as much as anyone else. They don't come off a short and run. They don't, they don't bowl slower just because it's a young lad. They actually bowl quicker because mm. they don't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. And, and the fact is, is that half the time you're probably batting down at number nine half the time you don't get a ball half the time you're fielding down at third man long leg and, and doing the drinks when it's time for drinks you, when somebody scores a 50 you go around with a hat to collect money for the drinks after the game these are these experiences that I found val- invaluable I, I played against Otis Gibson when I was it says in the book 14 it was actually 11 or 12 and literally was coming off his full run after two or three balls he came in and just dollared it up and then when, you know, he couldn't get me out, full run, bouncing. And, and you're talking about no helmet, you know what I mean? You're talking about proper test, proper challenge. 
You know what I mean? You and have to have your eye in. You've got to be, you're going to know when to duck, when to move. You, hey, you're also in there to play the ball when you can. You've got to be able to play cricket. Yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to survive. Yeah. And, and, and that is sometimes surviving by hook or crook. That's getting out the way, putting your pad in the way, ducking verbals, coping with sledging. You know, people say, about five years ago, they said, oh, sledging's unbelievable. Well, come play in the Bolton League when you're 11 year old and they're saying, oh, this little whippersnapper's in. Oh, Did they use the word whippersnapper? Probably not. Yeah, that, that, was, that was what I was. I was, always the, I was always the whippersnapper, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> fantastic, fantastic education. And if you think about it, then when you'd go down and play, say, Lancashire under-11s, it, 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 it was like playing with a tennis ball because yeah. it was so easy. Yeah. Because you was playing, you was playing Altus Gibson on the Saturday Sunday, going playing with under 11s. It, it was like it was like a stroll in the park. Let me ask something because you and I have been mired in, in different questions about sport and cultures because you've always yearned to go. We'll come to Spain in a minute. You've always got you've gone there. You've learned a lot. You're very passionate in analysing what you saw there and what's maybe gone wrong with our football identity here. Let's talk about the Australian sporting identity because yeah. it probably wasn't simply the cricket that gave you the armoury to become a successful professional footballer. It was that Australian sporting mentality. One of the things, again, we've both learned is that the great football coaches that we look at and admire now, let's take Guardiola for a moment. Yeah. They're magpies. Jackdaws. They steal from other parts of sport all the time. Yeah. And, and wouldn't you agree that in Australia there is a general sporting mentality, irrespective of the event or the mm. discipline, that we could learn from in terms of mental resilience, planning, toughness, teaching kids how to confront well, challenges? The Australians are an unbelievable, they have an unbelievable attitude for me. I'm best friends with Tim Cale. Tim Cale is a prime example of someone that, no disrespect, probably hasn't got that much ability. No disrespect. Is he good on the floor? Is he good technically? No. But I tell you what, he's determined. He's mm-hmm. driven. He's got ambition. Mm-hmm. He fights. He's got the core values. You know, the best coaches in life, I always think, are your parents. Mm-hmm. They're the best coaches in your life. And they instill the foundations in your life. I think Australians have got the foundations that my parents had. Yeah. You know, the hard work, the attitude, the discipline, the characters, the, the professionalism, the will to win, the, the will to succeed. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. All those powerful words that you see on dressing rooms nowadays that I think are a lot of rubbish. You try and manufacture discipline and all that rubbish. No, that's, in, that's ingrained in your stomach, that. That's yeah. ingrained in your stomach. And Australians have it ingrained in their culture not just in one or two people, in their culture. It's everywhere around you. If your parents everywhere. aren't sporting, but you are, your neighbour, your brother, the guy in the shop, everybody will be on you about it, victory. It, I, I always say it's, don't want to sound disrespectful, but kick your granny. Kick your granny yeah. to get that goal. Kick yeah. your granny to win a game. You know, they have that, I'm going to win, and it's win at all costs. You know what I mean? And it's not by cheating. No. It's just win, win. And the likes of Pep and Jose and Klopp, Allegri at Juventus, you know, these... These have that feeling. It doesn't matter what front of house face you see, no. or the jokes, or the style, no. or the elegance. No. In behind, it's win Still. at any cost win. other than cheating. Win. I mean, yeah. you see Jose this year. What's he done at Man United? I've seen so far. Forget what's gone on in the field. One is brought winners into the football club. Yep. Ibrahimovic wants to win, not only on the field, he wants to win in training, he wants to win off the pitch, he wants to be the best. Man United are one of the best they need to win. Jose now speaks like a winner he looks like a winner mm-hmm. he speaks we want to win first day in the club I want to win all four trophies yeah. this club you've got to dream the unexpected the fans want to be excited 
they want to win. Mm-hmm. Jose wants to win. And, and by talking like a champion, that spreads to the culture of the football club. And that's the biggest thing that he's changed so far. Where were, because we're going to come back to football. Where is cricket giving you, apart from that foundation, the greatest joy? Mm. 2005, that extraordinary Ashes series. Yeah. Have you ever... Lancashire? Because presumably you grew up in Wazamakrim, Atherton, Fairbrother times... Jesus, as we say in Spain. Jesus, Jesus. Yeah. No, no, well, when's it giving you your greatest joy apart from playing? The Ashes were fantastic. But in terms of my own personal, I captained England at 15. Uh, I captained England at 15. I captained England at 14. I was playing cricket for England against West Indies. I had to miss the third test to go and have a trial for England at football. And then after my trial for England at football, I went back to play the fourth and fifth test against West Indies. And I did not want to leave and miss the second test. I went to the football. I remember it so vividly. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. It was at Warwick University. My dad dropped me off. I was there for five days. I cried my eyes out every day. My dad came down on the third day because I'd rung my mum and said, I want to go and play cricket. Yeah. And my dad turned up. He said, look, I think you should stay and see out the week. You know, you... you it's an unbelievable opportunity in three months time you're going to be playing at Wembley for England schoolboys mm-hmm. and if you leave now you might forgo that opportunity I stayed cried the rest of the week he picked me up on the Friday night we went straight down to Peterborough to Arundel played against West Indies the day after at that moment in time cricket was my only sport cricket was my only sport because socially I met so many nice people mm-hmm. it had a different feeling than fo- football it's 90 minutes you go off home with your parents Cricket was... It's much more inter- integration. Integration, finished, no. The, it, it's eight hours in the day. Yeah, yeah. It, it's family-orientated. People, my, all my family was sitting around the edge. Afterwards, you'd stay overnight in a hotel. You'd be in Somerset. You'd be in Newcastle. You'd be in Darlington. I met so many great You people. learn your country as well, don't you? you? The beauty of the country, the different accents, the different attitudes around the country. That's something that I think... Because you would go into a professional career where you, no matter where you've stopped off, you've got no time in Istanbul or Rio or whatever. Education-wise, my parents had to go in and see the teachers because they were worried I was missing a lot of school. And my father, who was against me giving up cricket to, to have more school. My mum was always needs an education. We said, mm-hmm. look, he's getting an education by travelling throughout the country. He's meeting different people socially. He's living life experiences that will stand him in good stead. And to be fair to the geography teacher, I, I got an A in geography, purely and simply because I travelled the world and I knew countries, I knew capitals. I was the best at locating places. So it was an education as well. And, but socially, cricket gave me far more than football. The, the players were nicer. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? You'd yeah. play cricket after game, forget. Football, there was hatred. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I'd, I'd preferred the, uh, the cricket. What happened? You can't leave our audience hanging. What happened in the Ashes, in the, in the Junior Ashes? You, you go to Peterborough, what stage was the Test Series at well, when you go we, we were down one, to Arundel? We were 1-0 up. They lost when I went away, and, and we ended up winning the Ashes Series. West Indies weren't great. West Indies were no different than the senior West Indian team. Unbelievable ability, no technique. Went in there, tried to hit the first ball for six. The fastest opening ball would try and bounce and knock your head off first ball. It was that type. Nobody wore a helmet, nobody wore a thigh guard. They were just fantastic, natural cricketers. But at that age, no direction, no teamwork, no field settings. You know what I mean? We were a lot more... We had a good team. We had Flintoff, Chilton, Solanke, who played for Warwickshire. We had Colin... Vikram, no? Vikram Solanke, Paul Collingwood. Oh, God. We we, we had a fantastic team who, five or six, went on to play county cricket. We're not going to get football fitted in here. No. What did Neville... Why did Neville, when it comes to going to Warwickshire, Warwick, to do the England trial, when you're you're captain England cricket, 
why did he say, no, take one of the tests off, go and play football? What was governing his logic that rather than, geez, if you're in that company, yeah. if things go to plan, yeah. you're winning the Ashes in 2005, Well, in all honesty. Well, yeah, no, well, because my dad thought I could do both. My dad was unbelievable. He, he, he would take everything on. Let's do everything. You know, play cricket in the summer for England, play football in the winter. So he knew I was good at both of them and he did not want me to give up anything. And that's what he's been like with us all our life. No, do it all. Do it all. And then when, when you're 60 odd, sit back and say, I did everything. Yeah. No regrets. You know, and that's what he said that week. He said, look, I can take you home now. I said, because if I don't take you home, your mum will divorce me. So <laughs> I said, he said, but... I've been speaking to Gary and he thinks you should stay. I said, yeah, he would. He's at home. He's at home having hot pot. Do you know what I mean? But, King of the castle. Yeah. He said, we think you should stay. It was one of those moments I never forget. I was, in, I was sat in a dormitory in Warwick University and I just cried my eyes out for five days. I actually played well at the football. I just wanted to be my mates playing cricket. I was an opening batter. I was, that was my destiny. You said it when we were chatting there, my favourite sport. It's a hell of a statement. It's a hell of a statement given what you've done for football and what football's given you. Yeah. The, the, the biggest turning point was actually three months later, after making mainland debut at cricket with maybe 100 people on, I then went out, I walked out at Wembley and there was 80,000 on. That was like a wow moment. That was a life changing moment of this is special. Cricket was my love, but this is like, <laughs> it's like a supermodel list. This is special. And 80,000 people twice in the space of three months played uh, Italy. Totti played for Italy, played against Holland, but Bolo Zenden played for Holland. 80,000 both times and never looked back football. What impacted you about so many people? The pressure, the fact that it's big stage and I can handle it? Yeah. What, what, what was the... I actually, my England debut at cricket was probably one of my, my, my lowest moments because it was... Is this, is this it? This, playing for England's better than Hundred people, yeah. families, yeah. Uh, Gloucester, Sirencester, beautiful setting, but Wembley was. Phew, I like a bit of this. <laughs> this is me. You know, you I, want, I want more. I want more of this. I want this is the big time. This this is live on ITV. You know, this is interviews before the game. This was cameras uh, training. This was like the big time. You know, and 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 things like that have stayed with me, and that gives you confidence because when when you play for a club like this, players come here, walk out there, and think. Phew, it's 90 minutes over and get me out of here where the players that have stayed here for a long time or players that come here and play for other teams that play well are those that walk out and say I'll have a bit of this in the class of 92 out of our league you um, talk about seeing Valencia kids from the academy, yeah, including your son, who travel to, to away games on a five, six, seven-hour bus journey, whereas elite youth at United would probably be jetted somewhere or a train, five, you say, in the book or whatever. And you said, this is good. They're sharing time together, the length of a day that equates to a cricket day rather than 90 minutes and shower and then home and gone. They're doing the homework on the bus. You, you said... That's good. This is what the, we did as kids. Well, let's start with the Valencia experience. What is it that, you're, that, that you were trying to express about what in that aspect of the youth academy and the football development in Spain that you liked? That aspect about the union and... Like, for example, I'm, I'm fishing for the fact that 
when I was at a, uh, an Aspire conference in November in Berlin, Tuchel, the Dortmund coach, stood up and he said, I'm famous. I've got this job. I've got the Dortmund job because of my youth development. I became famous. I went to Mainz. And he said, when I was in charge of youth football, I was always knocking on the door and I was angry. Give my kids, these are elite kids, the future of the club, give them the best boots, the best treatment, give them the best buses, make sure the pitches are absolutely... And he said it, they stood up in front of them, and it was only a football audience, about 80 elite yeah. clubs around. He said, I, that was wrong. He said, this system, that idea that I was a mainstay of, and this is a young man, he's, he's what is he, 40 at best. Mm-hmm. He said, this is developing kids who all know how to pass the ball beautifully on a, on a velvet surface, mm-hmm. and, but they can't problem solve. If they're one-on-one with a player who's giving them a bit of... It's not real life. It's not real life, so... It's not real life. That's what I'm fishing for. It's not real life. It's one of the dangers that you don't go through at youth development level. Either the Otis Gibson moment or the broken-down bus moment or the... I I did a talk today for uh, pro-licensed coaches, for academy Mm pro-licensed coaches. We talked about taking people out of their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. That moment when your belly... Is twitching, you've got butterflies in your belly. The, belly, the, the feeling you don't like, yep. but actually the feeling that will improve you, the feeling that you actually want afterwards. You walk out on Old Trafford and you think, is it enjoyable? No, but afterwards you think, I want that again. I want that feeling. You know, and I got to about 30, 32 and football became just like, not easy, but I was relaxed. I missed that. And then, then the big games come around and I got that feeling. Oh, that feeling came back. I want that again. I want that again. I take the experience in Spain because... It's real life. Travelling six hours down to uh, Mojaca. Going up from Bilbao, travel 13 hours from Bilbao all the way down to Almeria. My son was going, Dad, Dad, six hours on a bus. Brilliant. Do you know what you'll do? You'll make friends for life, do your homework, revise your Spanish, watch a film, spirit on the bus, stop, go to the service station. Mummy and Daddy want me there to buy you 20 euros, go and buy you a bocadillo, go and buy you a cafe latte, do what you want. Mummy and Daddy are not there with you. Going to the hotel, six in a bedroom. Daddy, Daddy, I've, I've got six in my dormitory. Fantastic. But we'll not sleep tonight. Even better, because tomorrow you'll have to play tired. Mm-hmm. And that'll toughen you up. Yeah. And what that'll do the, the night after, you'll always think, we don't feel good today, so tonight we'll go to bed early. You're learning. <laughs> You're learning, because that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I went to Lillyshaw for an England cricket, and, and me and all the cricketers, we were running around uh, Lillyshaw at 14.15 at night, and we were playing games and playing knock-a-door run, and... The teachers didn't know what were going on. And the next day, we, we were all rubbish. We were all absolutely rubbish. And then the day, night after that, we all went to bed at nine o'clock. Because hmm. we learned that that's the way not to prepare. Mm-hmm. But we learned it ourselves. We didn't have some P telling us how to be, how to act, how to pass. How to... No, you learn yourself sometimes. And that's when, when the big moments come, you don't look over to the side look for somebody to do solve the problem for you. You know how to solve the problem because we learnt over experiences in our childhood that meant when it came to the big moments of pressure, we could handle those and solve those problems ourselves and not look over to the side and think, right, what do we do now? No, we just reacted and did it. Which is partly presumably why um, there was a day, there were many days, many years, decades, when players from, whether it be England, Scotland, Ireland, or eventually from Argentina or whatever, who, yeah. who'd had nothing to begin with, Whose, whose lives were, were genuinely tough. They valued every experience. They were tough. They'd had to yeah. live through situations that neither you nor I nor, nor Martin or most of the people listening to about to live to. Now, that, that's maybe going because society's changing. Now, you see in Barcelona's team, Suarez knows both sides of the street. He you know, knows exactly what Mascherano does too. Okay, if you look at world football now, and because there are not that many, you can actually pick out those ones that you think, 
they're street footballers yeah. they've come up the hard way they've actually done it and I, I, I use an example at Everton of Seamus Coleman Seamus Coleman played for Cole Ramblers in, in Ireland Roy's team yeah. Roy's old team yeah it, I think it was Cole Ramblers check that out but I think it was a yeah, team okay. in Ireland £60,000 bought didn't go through the academy system came in scruffy tracksuit say not matching no, no flashy trainers came in he had hunger he would run through that brick wall mm-hmm. and did he have the best ability to start no but he had more determination now probably one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League mm-hmm. now captain in Republic of Ireland in the European Championships he had the hunger and Suarez has it street footballer Slatan. Sanchez Sanchez at Arsenal Alexis is Alexis, Alexis champion you can tell he runs and he runs and he plays in every game he never gets injured I say never gets injured yeah, yeah, he plays with injuries you won't be living off saying no oh, I don't fancy this thing I've got a twin no, that's he plays. what you're talking about he plays he don't need four weeks off in the summer he comes back after three weeks John Terry lasted the old Jamie Carragher had it you know you see characters that and, and I worked at Valencia and you, more often than not the Argentinians have it in a bunch. Almost always. Yeah, yeah, because they've been street players, they've been street fighters, they've had to fight for everything. The, the, the Africans have a little bit of it as well, you know, that come over. And uh, the biggest challenge for me as a parent with my son is trying to install some of that into him because I want to give my son more than what my dad gave me. Mm-hmm. My dad wanted to give me more than what his dad gave yeah. me. You always want better for yeah, your children, but you also, the core values, everything must, must be the same. And, and that's why I love... That the, the Dortmund coach is exactly right and I said the same to the academy guys this morning you have to take your academy players totally out of their comfort zone more than they've ever been done in their life if you're going to produce because they said well, how do you produce characters nowadays well yeah. if you don't take them out of the comfort zone you're going to produce all the same types of characters take them out of the comfort That's zone it. make them go and play Prescott away on a Tuesday night on a friendly in, in the changing rooms or Salford City you know we've had players from Blackburn come down to us it's a culture shock mm-hmm. They don't like it, but I tell you what, there was one lad stayed with us for one month and then he begged his coach at Blackburn, I want to stay for another month. Then he mm. begged his coach and his dad was behind him, you're staying, because this is better for you than playing under 21 football. It's Salford he's playing for. Salford played for yeah. Salford, Lewis yeah. Hardcastle. And, and I, think, I think now we've got a challenge to push our children out of their comfort zones. Then let me ask you what I hope is a difficult question, but <clears throat> one that you're almost uniquely able to get balance to. And I remember reading um, Gary's book was pretty firm about what went on to apprentices yeah, at, at, yeah. at United now I, I'm sure that what we've been talking about isn't you saying I'll vouch for all of that that we went through it should all be happening some of it probably shouldn't no. but you went through things then the group of you that are now the class of 92 and others who maybe failed or didn't yeah. fail when you look back at that experience was some of it now acceptable do we have no. to abandon some of the things that we say you can't treat kids like that because it's helped make all of you what you are today sitting in this room with this hotel and Salford and your experience mm. do, you, do you know what I'm asking I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish half the stuff that we had to put up with for my son I don't want it for my son we were tested mentally right to the maximum there are ways of doing that without it going over the top the boxing matches you know I'm not into all that you know you, you can my first day at Man United every first team player my heroes in a dressing room and I had to stand up on a table mm-hmm. and chat for four or five minutes mm-hmm. that it's probably one of the toughest things I've ever done. At 16, Scary. scared stiff, shaking, yeah. Yeah. close to tears, probably. Yeah. There, were, there, were, there were tears somewhere in there yeah. that you stood up on the table, you introduce yourself, you say who your favourite player is, you go around the dressing room and, and say to a first-team player how he thinks he can improve his game. These were tests. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That was one of the challenges, to actually, in front of the dressing room, go to a player, an established first-team player, and tell him how he might improve his game. Definitely. Unbelievable. That's a very nice challenge. And in my philosophy nowadays, I'm saying, 
I went. I took the Valencia under 13s out for. Uh, they'd won a competition. I took them out for a meal. Took them to the equivalent of a TGI's in in, mm-hmm. in Valencia. Every single one of them. I got up to the front and I made them speak English. At the start, nobody wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Then after a bit, I went, the first one that came up, I thought, right, I'll get the I'll get the young shy boy up first because once he's done it, they'll all follow. Because the cocky kids wanted to get off, so you sit down, we're saving you for last. So the young shy boy came up and he didn't want to come. He, was, he felt like me. Yeah. And, I, and I said to him, I'm going to help you here. So just stick with I me. And he trusted me. Yeah. So I took him up there. I told him what to say. I had my arm around him and I cajoled him into saying what he said. The rest followed. It came to my son. He had to get up there and speak in Spanish. My son wouldn't do it. Right? My son wouldn't do it. He, he was like, no, 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 daddy. No, no, daddy. No, daddy. I said, if you don't do it, you'll feel so let down in yourself afterwards when you go home. That's true. That, that you'll feel disappointed. He got up there with another Spanish guy because I'm not into bullying because, you know, I, 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 I got up with another Spanish boy. The Spanish boy interpreted from his son who then spoke in Spanish. He got up there afterwards. He said, thanks for that, Daddy. Thanks mm. for making me do that because I'm now part of a team. Yeah. And I would take kids, I would make them do warm-ups themselves. I would make them present to the team. I would make them do things. Why can't a kid at Valencia, at 16-year-old, why can't he one day a week go and work in the offices, in the ticket office? Why can't he? You're not allowed to in England, but why? Why can't we in England? It's part of life education. Mm-hmm. I play cricket. That was an education that helped me become a cricketer. It stops you being in a bubble because you'll see a lot of kids now, particularly kids of talent, because there's such a, there's a dearth of kids of real talent that if we get them now, in this country particularly, it, they've got an agent, they're going to be earning a lot of money very quickly, and if they do anything in their first year and a half, they're going to be earning even more money. They've never touched... The money is, the money is an excuse, Graham. The money is an excuse for lazy coaching, no, lazy I agree. management. But all I'm saying is they're never going to be forced to go and work to learn what it is no. to turn up on time, to do a seven-hour shift, an eight-hour shift, to do a split shift in a cafe or a restaurant like you've had the equivalents, he and I would do... You know, you work till two in the morning, you do a split shift, you work with customers. Every three games, two of us had to stay behind till 12, one o'clock in the morning, sweep the dressing room, sweep the showers, yeah. clean all the boots, go back to the training ground with Norm and the kit man. And then, oh, you go home. How? Bus? Walk? Taxi? Not my problem. Yeah. But learn your independence. Learning your independence. Learn, learn that they're actually... And then the next day I thought, Ooh. There's a sense of achievement here. I've cleaned Brian Robson's boots. That was my goal. I wanted to... I cleaned his boots, then I wanted to be like him. Then I wanted to play with him. And that, that is your goal. That is your goal in life. And it's not the kids' fault that they earn all this money. It's, it's the people that are giving it. Them. Yeah. It's the system, the society that we're in. But it's the coaches at the end of the day. Coaches this morning, ah, but they all get too much too soon. They all... Well, what do you do about it? 17-year-old, I got a club car. Ferguson give me a club car at 17. Yeah didn't matter one bit because the next day he still killed me every day in training he still tested me do you know what I mean and the difference is you've already said it your parents had already been your best sports coaches life coaches so if you're given a car at 17 or whatever and everybody's allowed to be a bit chulo for a day even you guys you can have a day of being chulo but you'd have got over it whether he did or didn't hammer you because of your because the right stuff we all have moments when you need a clip yeah of course and that which is also part of the training but what I think some people will be arguing in sport right now football right now is that many of the kids coming through aren't getting that upbringing they're certainly not getting the same excellence of upbringing as you and Gary I think think they're getting the upbringing I just think I just think the parents are brainwashed just as much as the players nowadays in fact even more that's right I see it so if you take that level of training out of the kids when they're 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 then how are they going to know for themselves not to get carried away not to accept the bubble not to be looking for money all the time I, I see what you're saying. Graham, it's an excuse for the coach saying, England, oh, they're rich, but they don't have the same core values. But in England, 
clubs have more contact now and time with the players sometimes than the parents do because they're at the club yeah. longer. Yeah. So actually, the, the, the clubs have a have an obligation to actually. So they must adapt to what they're they teaching, must. how well they're teaching, they must. what they, things they're, they're, they're teaching. A family. They're, 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 okay. they're shaping a boy's life. So every time I go to see uh, Harvey's coach at Valencia or was it Man City, I say, yeah. be harder than him than anyone else. Yeah. Kick him up the backside. Yeah. And if he gives you any lip. You've got my permission to discipline him. And my son's looking at me saying, Daddy, what are you saying all that for? I said, because he's like your second father. I need to trust that man to do what I do at home. Yeah. And it, it, it always makes sure that my son has respect for the coach and that he does everything he's asked. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a social, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.